Philemon, and it's actually a three, there's a three multiple choice instead of two. It's, are you a runaway slave, a hired servant, or an accepted child? Um, We're going to look at the story of Philemon and Onesimus. Have you ever actually gone through the book of Philemon? You probably have, but uh, just to recap, Philemon was uh, a leader in the church in Colossae, and he was led to the Lord by Paul's ministry. Paul, ultimately, as we saw back in Philippians when we were there a couple weeks ago, he ends up in jail, and he writes the prison epistles, which are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, in that opportunity, he, he wrote this letter to his friend Philemon. Philemon was wealthy and had a slave named Onesimus, who we're not, we're not sure exactly what happened, but Onesimus either owed Philemon something, so he became his servant to pay off the debt, or he was just a hired servant, hired slave, and he stole from Philemon and left because there's a debt that he owes Philemon, whether it's the debt that he had incurred and was trying to work his way out of, or it was something he owed Philemon because he stole it away from him. Um, the, in God's grand design, Onesimus runs into Paul while Paul's in prison. And it's not clear whether Onesimus ended up in jail himself. I tend to think that's what happened. Um, but uh, Paul gets the opportunity to lead Onesimus to the Lord. So uh, if you're in Philemon, verse 1, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, which is one of Paul's favorite terms for himself, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy's also there with him. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, and a lot of most people believe that Aphia was Philemon's wife, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. And a lot of people believe that Archippus was their son, and that Philemon was an older fellow, Archippus was a fellow laborer in the gospel, and uh, was a grown son that actually led the church in Philemon's house. So, and I think that's really interesting because it says to the church in your house. And we have to remember back in the, and this time, we didn't have meet in buildings. They met in their church. And I like to, I try to remind myself that anytime someone comes in contact with me, if I'm a part of the body of Christ, that is where God's presence is. So in effect, I am the church to that person. It might be the only church they ever experience. We always try to invite people into our church or to come to our church as a building, but we are the church. And no matter where we are, that's where the church is. Um, so the church happened to meet in this house, which was Philemon's house in Colossae. And uh, he says, Grace to you and peace from our God our and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So this is a pretty shining recommendation from Paul to Philemon. And Philemon, his name comes from the word philio, which means brotherly love. And literally, Philemon's name means one who kisses. So this guy... He's a beloved friend, Paul calls him. He says that he thanks God. Every time I make mention of you, I'm thanking God, hearing of your love. So he lived out his name. He loved the saints. He says, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. So this guy Philemon, anybody who came in contact with him was blessed by him. This guy seems like a pretty cool guy. 
So if you're Philemon and you get this letter and Paul the Apostle is telling you all this stuff about yourself, you're starting to feel pretty good about yourself. At least I would be. And then he changes direction here. So he kind of, Paul very masterfully butters Philemon up, as it were, for what he's about to ask him. He says, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, there he starts playing on the whole love thing again, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. If you read this and you kind of familiarize yourself with it, he's really, he's just, this is so, uh, not, not manipulative, but he's wording it in such a way, he's like, oh, you're so great, you're so lovely, everybody loves you, thanks so much for doing all this great stuff that you do. I have something that I could probably tell you to do, but I'm really old and I'm a prisoner. And uh, uh, uh. You know, He's like really turning the story to get Philemon on his side. It's really interesting if you read it. It's kind of humorous, actually. You know, I'm going to appeal to you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to ask you because I'm an old man who's in prison, remember? So don't feel compelled to do what I have to ask or anything. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains who is once, very, or once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So at this point, Philemon's reading the letter, and he's happy, and then he hears about Onesimus, who is the man who stole and ran away, or, didn't, you know, or still owes Philemon something and has run away. So you can see from that perspective how bitter that <laughs> this letter has become in a very short time. Because he's saying, wait a minute, Paul's begotten him while in his chains. He was unprofitable. Now he's profitable. And he says, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I have wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. So he keeps harping on this thing as I'm a prisoner, I'm in chains. And now he's saying this guy who owes you a lot of money and wronged you deeply, here he is and Accept him. He's saved now. Everything's forgotten, right? And uh, a lot of people believe that this letter was sent along with the letter to Colossi, or the, the Colossians. And if you look at the end of Colossians, you don't have to actually turn there, but I'll just read it. It says, Now when this epistle is read among you, um, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you fulfill it. So this is being read aloud. Philemon is probably a, is a private letter to Philemon. But in verse, I'm trying to find the verse here. Oh, here it is. In verse uh, 8 at the end of Colossians, it says, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, talking about Chichikas, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So, most people believe that Onesimus and Tychicus were sent to the church in Colossae with the letter to the Colossians, and then also for Philemon, this personal letter. So, Onesimus knocks on Philemon's door. Here comes open, Philemon's coming in, opening the door, sees Onesimus, the scoundrel there, says, what are you doing here? I thought you were never going to show your face here again. And he just goes, here. And there's a letter. From, and he opens it up, and it's this whole long dialogue about how Paul met Onesimus, and he ever, all's forgotten. Everything's great. And if you're, if you're honest, you put yourself in this situation, being Philemon, someone who has been wronged, you have two options. 
You can either hold on to that, expect justice to be served eventually, or you can do what Paul is asking and saying, accept him, receive him, as though you were going to receive me. How you feel about me, treat Onesimus exactly the same way. And I know that when we talked about the gospel being unchained and Paul's in prison, we talked about how sometimes we can allow the, fa- the things that other people have done to us to hinder our demonstration of the gospel to the world. The fact that our parents split up or the fact that this person wronged me or I didn't get this promotion or all these things have, oh, woe is me, God doesn't care about me, how am I supposed to preach the gospel when all this bad stuff is happening to me, right? How am I supposed to live out as an ambassador for Christ in the world when all this bad stuff has happened to me? I don't think God expects me to do that. I don't think that, I think I'm entitled to kind of have this day to myself and say, I'm just going to pout like I did today, all day. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I'm entitled to this. Philemon doesn't really have much of a chance to think about this because Onesimus is standing at his door. If you can picture it, it's, it's, I'd love to see a movie of this whole story. You could go back to when Philemon and Onesimus met, how they became connected, and then all the wrongs that he did, and goes off and carousing or whatever, ends up in prison with Paul. You know, it's just, it's a movie, right? It's made. It's made to be a movie. And then Paul even lays it on further in verse 14. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. So he's like, here's all the reasons why you need to do this, but just do it because you want to, not because of any compulsion on my part. (laughs) It's just masterful how Paul's setting this up for Philemon to do what he is asking him to do. But he actually said in verse 13 that I want Onesimus to stay with me because he's so profitable to me. And, but I don't want him to, if, if he stays with me, I'll consider him loaned from you. But I don't want that to happen unless you're okay with it, is what he's saying, basically. And verse 15 is really where I want to make our home for the next couple minutes. Because this is the verse that stands out to me. And... I think the whole gospel's caught up here. It says, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul has the the gall to say that everything that happened could perhaps have been part of God's plan. The fact that Philemon had been robbed or were indebted or you know was owed a debt by Onesimus and Onesimus left didn't honor his part of the bargain and Philemon's left holding the bill that all of that stuff Paul has the gall to say for perhaps that's the reason this all happened was so that you could accept him back as a brother not no longer as a slave but now he's a brother in Christ and i would propose that everything that happens that God is completely in control of, even the mistakes that we make. Not that he authors them, not that he orchestrates them, but that he orchestrates the way out of them and the way to reconcile what we break. From the beginning, the Garden of Eden. You think God was surprised when Adam and Eve bit the fruit? I don't think so. I don't think he was like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Oh, what do I got to do now? All right, let me get my plan, alternate plan B out here and figure out. It says that, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So if we believe that, we have to believe that even when we screw up, 
that God can somehow be in control of it and, and right the ship again. I think that therein is the power of the gospel. We talk about how the gospel saves people from their sins. We talk about how the gospel can be powerful enough to save people from the circumstances that they're stuck in. But very, we're very hesitant to talk about how the gospel can correct the intentional mistakes that we've made. What I mean is the deliberate mistakes that we make. Not just like, oh man, I can't believe I'm, I'm fallen and I have sinful nature and oh well. I'm talking about when people willfully go and leave and they walk away from the Lord and they walk away from everything they have. Do we believe that the gospel is powerful enough to make that work and to write it and bring it back? The evil, all the evil things that are done during that time, all the evil things that... Uh, all, you know, all the glory that God is robbed of, is God powerful enough to say, no, I don't think so. Take that back and bring that person back. Because if we don't believe that God is powerful enough to bring the person who was once here, has left, and bring them back again, then how do we know that he's powerful enough to save them in the first place? So we have to believe that the gospel not only saves us from our sins, not only saves us uh, from our pain, but also can wash away our mistakes and God can forgive and offer the grace that he claims to offer to us. Verse 17, he says, if you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. And in my Bible, the you would is italicized, which means it's not there in the original language. They just put it in there so that you understand the emphasis. He says, receive him as me. So when Onesimus is there and Philemon is saying, you owe me so much money. You, my wife has been on my case to get you, get you thrown in prison so that you can pay back the debt that you owe us. You know, I I haven't been able to give my son the toys that he wants or whatever, you know, because I have this big debt here all because of you. And now he's saying, "Receive, receive him as me, as Paul. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Paul says, if he owes you anything, this is Paul in prison, by the way. He says, I'll repay it. Put it on my account. I'll take the debt that he owes and I will pay it. And the book of Philemon is a living, breathing example of the gospel at work. It's God saying, there's a debt that needs to be owed or needs to be paid. And Jesus saying, put all that on me. I will pay it. Because we cannot pay it back. The trouble is, is that we try to sometimes, and that's where we're going to move from. The run, are you a runaway slave, or are you a hired servant? Um, in uh, Luke 15, you guys know the story of the prodigal son, I hope. I'll just read through it quickly because I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. 
A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal, we've taken to mean astray or someone that, you know, someone who's off doing their own thing. But really, prodigal means like debased and completely just filthy living. So he wastes his possessions. And you can kind of see parallels between the prodigal son story and the story of Philemon and Onesimus. You see, the prodigal son under his father's roof and rules. Onesimus is under his master's roof and rules. He takes from his father. Onesimus takes from Philemon. And they both travel far away because they don't want to be where they are anymore. They don't like the rules. They don't like the, the accountability, maybe. They want to be free what they want to do. We talked about it last week with the demoniac. I'm sure that when he decided to walk down the path that he did, he didn't expect to be naked and screaming and running out of a tomb. He probably thought, eh, what's the harm? What am I going to do here? I don't like this. I'm going to go this way instead. It always starts with a decision. This son said, you know what? I'm sick of living here and having to listen to my dad yakety yak yak. Dad, give me your money. That is mine. When you die, I'll take it now, please. And now I'm out of here. And the father says, okay, here you go. What an insult it was to his father for him to say, I can't wait for you to die so I can have your money. So just give it to me now. And then not, it's not like he goes and makes wise decisions with it, right? He wastes it and wastes his possessions with prodigal living. I'm sure Onesimus, when he was running out, thinking, aha, I'm free. Woohoo! No more debt. He probably, <laughs> you can't take, the, you know, you can take the, pers- the slave out of the master's house, but he still had a slave mindset. And he still got himself into trouble and somehow ended up in jail sitting next to who? Paul. And we remember Paul sitting in the, in the prison praising God, singing hymns. And then the earthquake and the chains and everything Gets, everybody gets set free. And the Philippian jailer's there, and he's going to kill himself. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And Paul's like, no, 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 I'm here. I'm content to stay here in prison. So at some point, Onesimus is here with Paul, and he ends up hearing the gospel and gets saved. Now we see this prodigal son who goes off and does whatever he wants because he's free, right? Does he end up free and clear? But when he had spent all, There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Because the world offers us something that we think is going to satisfy us. And then we do it, and then we end up being in want. We all know that. We've all done that. That's the, you know, the community that we're in is full with people, even if they look successful, the places that we work, all the things that we, all the people we encounter, I'm sure are not going to say, I'm in want. I've spent everything I have. They're not going to say that. They're going to say, look at all this stuff I have. They're going to put out to themselves, to us, to, as though they have it all happening for themselves. And they don't. It's just like this prodigal son, no doubt, got lots of friends when he was willing to throw money everywhere. And then where, where were they when, he, when the money ran out? 
It says in verse 15, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. This is what happens when we pursue our sin, and we are free to do so. He joined himself. He was latched onto some guy who has pigs. And the guy's like, yeah, go out in the field, feed these pigs. It says he gladly would have. So he's not even, he's like, oh, feed these pigs, but you're not allowed to have what they're eating. I know you're hungry and stuff, but don't even think about it. That, that costs money. And that's to fatten up my pigs. <laughs> so you can't have it. And he's like, oh, but please, I just want to eat these husks. These things that these pigs are eating, they just look so good. I don't understand it. But in some ways I do, because I know what it's like to pursue something, expect it to satisfy me, have it not, and instead of going, oh, that stinks, I'm going to go back to the thing that does satisfy to go, maybe I just didn't look hard enough. Maybe I didn't just try more. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. It seemed appetizing. You would think that this guy would be like, oh my gosh, these pigs are disgusting, that food is disgusting, what am I doing here? He's like... No, I want this. How could we get to this point? Like the prodigal son, like the demoniac who's perfectly fine in his birthday suit living in a cemetery. It doesn't make sense. Because you could talk to these people and say, hey, do you have any spiritual belief? And they'll go, oh, yeah, I know that there's a heaven, and they'll give you all the right answers, and they'll tell you all the things they believe. But if you look closely and you examine their life, they're gladly filling themselves with the swine, uh, swine food. It says, thankfully, it says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So we looked at a runaway slave, which is, we can ask ourselves, are we in a, is our life in a direction where we are running away from God, running away from our master, trying to, to live in freedom from the rules of the church or the, the Ten Commandments or whatever it is? Is that our direction? I, I would think that most of us would say no. That's the people out there, right? But a lot of us can say maybe we're here as hired servants. I'm not worthy to be a son of God. I know that. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been... I've done some bad stuff, so I just want to be close to God. And we talked about it last week of being a slave of righteousness. That sounded really good. I'm God's slave. Okay, so I'll just work really hard for God to pay him back for the debt that I owe him, for all the sin that I committed, right? That makes sense. That's where we live. That sounds biblical. But it's actually not. Because the debt that we rack up with our sin cannot be paid back. The only person that can pay it back was Jesus. And when we... We start to get here and we go, oh, I'm so bad. I did so many bad things. I need to do equal or more good things to pay God back. Because he really just loaned me this grace. It's not, even though it says a gift, it's a free gift, I still, it comes with a catch. I need to work, work it out. And that's what the Bible, that's what I come to church and people tell me, do good works. So I think this is great. Hired servant. It makes sense. I, I think we should just end right there. Um, in uh, John eight thirty four, sorry, Kat, I haven't called up a verse in a long time at all. 
Jesus said, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So this son had the opportunity. He was free. He went, became a slave to this landowner because of wasting all of that he had, all his father's possessions. And now he's willing to say, oh, I'll just be a slave for my father. That's, that works. And he said, no, even a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son does. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Uh, Romans 8, if you have Romans 8, I think it's 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And then on to 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Just because we go out and feed ourselves on the the pig slop, it doesn't make us any less children of God than we were. Because it says in Ephesians 1, sorry, That's like way down far. Ephesians 1. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So, Did I do anything for that? I don't think so. It says that it was according to the good pleasure of His will. He predestined us. He made us accepted. So what are you you talking about, Jeff? Are you saying that we just go out and do whatever we want? And that God's like, oh, oh, well, they're my son. I love them. Not at all, actually. I'm, I'm suggesting the opposite. I'm saying, just like I said last week, we're not a slave of righteousness. We are chained to God. Just like a a boat is chained by the anchor so that it doesn't stray from the harbor, God has said, no, you're mine. And nothing that you do will separate separate you from my love. And he says, uh, you guys know the story of the, the rest of the prodigal son story. He arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is really awesome because if you look, it says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he doesn't let him finish his speech. He doesn't let him get to the part where he says, make me one of your hired servants. Because in the father's eyes, when you are a son or a daughter, you are always a son or daughter. You are never a servant. And I think sometimes when we read about being a servant of God, we become workers. We become Guys out in the field, not realizing that we are welcome at the table. And he said, said, the father says to his servants, there's a clear delineation there. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. In Ephesians 2, it says, in verse 4, 
But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, just like the prodigal son who was dead, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, I forgot. I didn't put this verse in for you. Sorry, cat. Don't worry about it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. He's doing the work. It's not us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even when we think that we're paying God back by doing good things, we are borrowing more from God in order to do the good things. It has nothing of ourselves. It's all from him. Even the ability to do good works is a gift of him, not something that we're creating ourselves. So it's a feeble attempt at, for us to say, I'm paying God back. But I think, and I, I was stuck in this mentality for so long in my life. I messed up and I used up all the free grace. Now I need to earn the grace. You know, we tend to, we think that because that's how the world works. When I worked in banking, it was, customers would get really mad because all of the promotions and the deals went to all the new customers, right? And you know this, it's like, well, are you a first-time customer? Well, no. Oh, well, that doesn't apply to you. Why not? I'm a long-time customer. I'm loyal. I don't, I don't get all the good deals. Or do you have a plus card, a bonus card? No. Well, then you don't get this. Well, why not? It doesn't make any sense. Or first-time homebuyers get all the, all the perks. You know, everybody that gets it. And we have that mentality in our Christianity. It's like, well, I'm already saved, so if I then go back to the bad stuff, and then God's not going to say, okay, do over, start, start fresh. We have to work our way back. Because all the real benefits are for the first-timers. And we would never say that because we know the Bible doesn't say that, but that's the trip we put on ourselves. That's the trip the enemy puts on us. you got to be a hired servant, man. Sorry. You're a, you're a runaway slave. You're not going to be welcomed back, so you might as well do a lot of good stuff to get back into good graces. And then maybe someday you'll work your way and you'll be a son again. Let's keep those fingers crossed. That's the lie that most Christians live in. And I have to silence that voice every day when I wake up because it can be very easy to say, I'm a hired servant for God. Woohoo! <clears throat> um, if we go back to, uh, oh no, sorry, go to Galatians 4. I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but I think it's important to see We talked about the runaway slave. We talked about the hired servant. Now we're going to talk about the accepted child. This is where we want to be. Galatians 4 says, Now I say that the heir, remember we looked at that verse that said we were joint heirs with Christ from Ephesians? I'm sorry, from uh, Romans 8. It said, uh, it's the spirit within us that says that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. Here's what it says in Galatians 4. An, an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is guard, under guardian and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So uh, what he's saying basically is when a child in the, is in the house, he still has stewards and still has people ruling over him. He's not a man. He's still under the authority of his parents. So in that regard... He's equal to a slave because the slave can't do what he wants. The child can't do what he wants. He's subject to his parents, just like the slave is subject to his master. Even so, 
We, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. The elements of dead religion or the elements of complete grave sin. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. That word redeem is the word to buy back. To when, when someone was, on, was a slave, you know, and the story of Hosea, <clears throat> when he, God says, go take a harlot as your wife, and then she goes, leaves him, cheats on him with all these men, ends up on the, tra- you know, the trading block as like a slave. He, God says, go and buy her back and bring her back to yourself. That's the same idea of redeem. Redeem, buy back that which has been enslaved. We've been redeemed from the, you know, those that are under the law, under the punishment and the penalty that comes with the law. We've been redeemed that we might receive the adoption as sons. We were on death row for a crime that we did commit. And then they, you know, we're about to get the lethal injection. Someone takes us off the table, cleans us up, walks us through the cell block. Everybody's staring at us, don't know what's going on. They walk us out, give us a three-piece suit. A fresh shave, and then they walk us out to a limousine, and there's the governor, and he said, not only am I going to pardon you from your death penalty, but you're going to be my son now, and you inherit everything in the governor's mansion, and here it is. It's all yours. That is actually just a very small picture of what God did for us. That's not even close. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is where we live. This is who we are. We're not a slave anymore. We're not a servant that is forced to do something that we don't want to do. We are a son of God and a daughter of God. And it says that the way that we know that, in Ephesians 1, it says he's given us the spirit as a guarantee that he's already purchased us and he's going to get us back. The spirit is inside of us crying out, saying, Abba, Father. And oftentimes, I think when the Bible talks about don't quench the spirit, don't grieve the spirit, it's because we don't allow him to give testimony of who we are in Christ. We, we quiet him. We say, that's not true. We allow the sins in our life and we allow the enemy's lies to drown out the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's in our 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 hearts going, no, you're not a slave, you're a son. We go, uh, I don't know, that seems kind of blasphemous because I'm filthy. If I'm God's son, then I don't know how God could possibly ever welcome me. And he says, no. And then in verse eight, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things by nature, which are not God's. But now after you have known God's, I'm sorry, you have known God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Now that we know God or that he has known us intimately, why do we want to go back to that stuff? And in this context, he's talking more about religion. You know, why would you want to go back to following the law now that you've been set free? But I think it also applies to sin. Why would we want to go back to that freedom that ends us up naked in the tombs like the demon-possessed man or ends us ends us up in prison, like uh, Onesimus. It's not worth it. And he says, um, 
the theme verse of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. And in verse 10, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This has got to be like over my bed. I need to remember this every time I wake up. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. It's mine for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. I'm not. Sometimes it feels like I'm shackled to whatever situation that's going on. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's what's available to us. And uh, that's what he wants us to share. In, in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, and a servant of the Lord, a servant that is doing the works that he gave us, not the works that we're putting on ourselves to earn favor back with God. That's a different type of situation. Must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps, it's kind of similar to what he said in Philemon, like perhaps maybe Onesimus took all your stuff and left so that he would end up in jail, so that he would meet me, so that he'd become a Christian and now be able to come back to you and be your brother, not your slave anymore. Perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Verse 26. And then we have here a verse that reminds us of the prodigal son. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, which is the demoniac. That's bound. It's a demonic oppression. Having been taken captive by him to do his will. That is where people are. That is where we've come from. That is where sometimes we're tempted to return, is to be a captive to do the will of our enemy. The snare of the devil. That's not where we want to be. God has given us the power in his gospel to set us free from that. And nothing we do adds to the work. In Genesis 22, if you remember, Abraham and Isaac going up, he tells the servants to stay behind. He says, the lad and I will go and worship and we will return. And what that tells me is that service is not welcome anywhere near where God and his son have done business. If, if the cross is where everything was settled, then we have no right to say that our service contributes to that in any way. It's, um, it's important that we remember that. And the mission that Jesus had, and he mentions it in Luke, and, and it's from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is the message. This is the unchained gospel. This is the gospel that can set people free. And we can't allow the fact that we have made mistakes and we've run away from God from time to time to diminish that message. Um. To give you a real-life picture of this, I'm going to read a letter to you. Hi, guys. I hope you're doing well. Over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to evaluate my relationship with the Lord. 
my time in ministry and come to the sobering realization of just how far I was with him, from him. During these years, I've lived with the fact that I broke a sacred trust between me and my church. So there's this person who was in the master's house, was serving him, and did something to break that trust. Much like Onesimus, much like the prodigal son. Caused a lot of personal and widespread devastation by my decisions. As I look back at the missed opportunities and squandered resources, you're like, man, this sounds awful, right? This guy screwed it up. There's no opportunities for God to redeem this. I'm humbled that God has so intimately been involved in working to restore and renew all the years that the locusts had eaten. I wanted to let you know that God has been doing amazing things in my life. By his grace, he's brought me back to him, granted me true repentance, and given me a fresh filling of the Spirit. In the last two years, he's restored in me a desire to use my gifts to edify the church, which I humbly have been able to do. Um, God has enabled me to maintain true accountability and to walk in the light and to be free from sin. I've been thoroughly blessed by the book of Philemon recently. A servant who runs away from his master, but God uses that error to bring about a genuine and lasting encounter with Christ and ultimately restore fellowship and bring about true servanthood. True servanthood. Not serving out of obligation, like when Paul said to Philemon, don't do this because I'm forcing you to. Do it because it's voluntary. Do it because you want to, because you love God. This story speaks to me, and I see myself in the pages I hope to one day be able to share my story in order to declare God's overwhelming grace and awesome power over sin. It took me some time to truly repent, but I know that God has used those experiences and the mistakes that I've made to bring about his purposes and to bring glory to his name. That's the power of the gospel, is that God can take the, the wretched mess that we make and restore it and somehow not only just say, it never happened, Let's forget about it. He says, even if it did happen, how do we use it to further the gospel and to glorify me in it? Thank you for all the time and opportunities you gave to me, your brother and fellow bond servant, Jeffrey Desiato. I wrote this letter, and I grew up in the church. And I grew up with a servant mindset. I wanted to serve God and do what was right. The problem was, was that I had a double life. I was living in sin while serving the church. And uh, when I was 23, I, my sin came to light, and I, was, I lost that. And I, did, I was angry that it happened. And then, it got, then I was broken that it happened, and I, and I was very uncomfortable showing my face, and I, I felt like God had, you know, I lost my opportunity, and that God was done with me. Um. And that was seven and a half years ago. So what I'm here to say is that we have to believe this because I believe it because it's true. That God can take the mistakes that we make and bring about his purpose and his grace and his overwhelming gospel is powerful enough to restore that. Um, If... I hadn't sinned, I would not be close to God right now. Or should I say, if my sin had not been found out, I would not have been close enough to God. 
And it, it's really astounding because when I read the book of Philemon, I just see my story in it. And I hope that when you read the Bible, it becomes your story. <clears throat> because that's what God did for each of us. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. It's not the gospel that they preach at my parents' church or the gospel that I heard growing up. It has to be mine. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Even if we are chained by our sin, God can break the chain because the word of God is not chained. And that is the message that we take to the world because God can set us free from that.